I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent, and Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent. Down the line from the US, we have Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor, and also our guest today from the FCA, the UK regulator, Megan Butler, director of supervision. Today, we will be talking about the FCA's new proposals on bringing an end to PPI claims. Secondly, a look at Wall Street bankers and how they seem to be selling their own shares. And finally, Lloyd's selling its own headquarters in the UK. First, though, to that story about the FCA and the long-running PPI saga. This, of course, is payment protection insurance, which was missold by many banks and other providers over many years. For seemingly very long time now, we've had claims for mis-selling being pursued by individuals and also by claims management companies. Finally, it's due to come to an end, and there's a deadline of the 29th of August 2019 for the last of the PPI claims to be filed. Megan Butler, Director of Supervision at the FCA, is joining us now to tell us about the new advertisement that you are putting out to encourage people to claim before it's too late. Tell us about this advert, Megan. Well, the point about the advert is to bring to the attention of everybody in this country over the age of 25 that the clock is now ticking on the two-year deadline to make a complaint about PPI. Because we know that millions of people are probably still owed thousands of pounds, but they are no longer listening to messages about PPI. They're inundated with text messages, cold calls and the like, generic messaging. So we have introduced a deadline and running a campaign to bring this to their attention and prompt them to take action. As you say, people have been inundated for a very long time with text messages and advertising and so on, particularly by claims management companies. Can it really be that there's anyone out there anywhere who doesn't know that this is something that they can do? Why will this ad make any difference? I think the key is that the deadline is likely to make a difference and the campaign is drawing attention to that deadline Our research that we've engaged in over the last couple of years is telling us that people are no longer engaged with PPI. And if we look at some of the numbers here, up to 64 million policies were sold through the 1990s and early 2000s. And only 12 million individuals have had their complaints upheld so far, which is why we think that although we can't put a number on this, we think that there are still millions of people out there who are probably still owed thousands of pounds. Of course, there may be policies that were perfectly valid and non-contentious in terms of PPI that was sold. Absolutely right. Um, This is not a product that is inherently toxic or anything of that sort. This is a product that suits a lot of people in particular circumstances. The problem is that this was missold on an industrial scale. People didn't realise they were buying it. People were told they would only get a credit card if they ticked the box for PPI alongside it. It was just missold on a quite astonishing scale on all sorts of products and not merely financial products. 
Let me bring Caroline in here now. Caroline, you've had some fun watching this new advertisement. Talk us through it. It's difficult to bring to life the true wonder of the ad on audio, but do yeah, your best. <laughs> uh, for, for once, words actually fail me, but it's certainly memorable and unique. And I think perhaps a world first amongst regulators worldwide, I would have thought. Just to give a flavour, it involves an animatronic model of Arnold Schwarzenegger's head on caterpillar tracks, bursting out through a pile of golden delicious apples, telling customers in a supermarket to make a decision. And in Arnie's famous accent, he sort of says, bye-bye, PPI. I mean, it is something to behold. Well, here's a flavour of that ad right now. Come on! After the 29th of August 2019, you will no longer be able to make a PPI complaint. Bye-bye for the PPI. Quite. So you need to decide, yes, I want to make a PPI complaint, or no, I don't. Make a decision. Do it now! Visit the financial... What I would say is that I think it achieves the FCA's objective of trying to make customers sit up and take notice, first of all, particularly because they have been inundated previously with all this other advertising by claims management companies and the like. So I think the FCA really needed to make a bold and striking impression, and in that it succeeded. Would you agree with that, Megan? Are you pleased with the ad? Certainly bold and striking. I think the important thing is this has to be memorable. We don't need people to like it. We need people to remember it and to act upon it. Well, I think so far this is a scandal that's cost the industry, is it £35 billion? If this ad works, I suspect it could cost the industry a lot more. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So let's move on to our second item of the day. And we're going over to Wall Street to Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor. Ben, you wrote a very interesting story the other day reporting on the newfound bearishness, apparently, among top Wall Street executives towards their own banks. A lot of bankers have been selling shares in their own employers. That's right. Yeah, what I found was that just having a sort of idle surf on Bloomberg was this, well, I started with Goldman Sachs and there was lots of net selling of shares by insiders there. And then I moved to Morgan Stanley, same story, despite some pretty bullish signals coming from the bank this year. Then Citigroup, Bank of America, and all the rest of the big six. And I just looked back over the past two or three years, and this is unusual that you get a clean sweep of insider selling for the whole of the year. And this is essentially dismay with the Trump administration coming through, the kind of euphoria that greeted his election last November, particularly on hopes of deregulation, higher interest rates, investment and so on, has rather evaporated. Well, it's always difficult to attribute motive in any sale, isn't it? But I think you can say there's some of the reasons to buy bank shares back in November, which, of course, are the promise of high interest rates, lighter regulation on the banks, and over time, lower taxes. None of those has really come to pass. So if the premise of the Trump trade was to buy banks on those factors, then you could argue that it's an explanation for the lack of buying this year by insiders. Let me just bring Laura in here. Laura, were you surprised by this? I wouldn't really find this surprising because if you look at what's happened to the bank shares in the last year, I mean, the bank shares are very richly valued at the moment. So certainly there's an opportunity just to take some money off of the table. And I think certainly it's true that the optimism for Wall Street, which probably drove bank shares to those highs, isn't really there anymore. And so I think they probably picked a good time to sell. Just coming back to you, Ben, for a final thought on this. I think, as you mentioned in your article, going back to last year, we had some big emblematic purchases of shares by chief executives like Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan, proof that you know he had faith in the future of his bank. 
we obviously haven't seen any of that this year. But equally, I suppose we haven't seen any big public sales by CEOs. That would be pretty bad news. No, you haven't had any public sales, and that that would be very bad news indeed. What you did see is a huge sale by Warren Buffett, who used to be a still is a big shareholder in Wells Fargo, but he tripped that 10% threshold, which the regulators don't like to see any non-bank going above 10% in any bank, so he had to sell there. But yeah, Laura's basically right. The valuations are a lot richer than they used to be. So if you do have some calls on your cash, if you've got a big mortgage to pay, if you've got a divorce settlement or something, then yes, it's a good time to sell your shares. Well, we'll watch out for any, uh, any dramatic further sales over the coming months. My thanks to Ben and Laura for their thoughts. On to our last item for the day, Lloyd's, which has a pretty interesting headquarters in the City of London, Gresham Street, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is a kind of slanting glass building, a bit like a precursor in a way to the cheese grater. Lloyd's is selling this headquarters, which it has owned for many years, in a proposed sale and leaseback deal. Martin, you were involved in writing that story. Tell us about the thinking. Lloyd's is headquarters is 120,000 square foot glass and steel construction that was purpose-built for the bank 15 years ago. From the executive offices at the top floor, you've got lovely views across the city to St. Paul's Cathedral. And the bank is in the very early stages of deciding to explore a sale of this building. It's not moving out, but it's looking to do a sale and lease back probably on a long-term lease. And there's a couple of reasons for this. The main one is simply the incredible market conditions for commercial property in London, with in particular Chinese investors coming in and snapping up many of the most iconic properties in London and driving up prices to levels at which Lloyd's thinks it just can't really turn down. It's also the bank's policy not to own its own property. It has been steadily selling off many of the properties that it owns. It sold recently the Scottish Widows headquarters in Edinburgh and is now looking to get about £140 million for the Gresham Street headquarters. It would leave Royal Bank of Scotland as the only other big British bank that owns its own London headquarters. HSBC and Barclays both have big skyscraper headquarters in Canary Wharf, but neither of them own them. And Standard Chartered doesn't own its headquarters in the city. One of the benefits of doing this might be that the bank will be able to offset some of its rental payments against tax because it could count them as business expenditure, whereas obviously there are no mortgage payments because it owns the property outright at the moment. But I think the main driver for this is the incredible buoyant conditions of the London commercial property market. And it may indeed be seen in some quarters as signalling the top of that market, I suppose. We will see. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin, Caroline and Laura here in the studio, Ben down the line in New York and our guest Megan Butler from the FCA. Thank you also for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.